You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. God is so good, amen? He treats us far better than we deserve. And so what we can do is we can learn how he wants us to live. And we can treat each other in the same way he desires for us. The way he's treated us better than we deserve. We can treat each other. And that's what we're going to look at today. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. We're going to look at this as our opening verses to, to catch the spirit of what John is saying. 1 John chapter 4, I want you to follow along. All the other supporting verses will be overhead. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. If you don't own a Bible, please take the one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. Love consists of this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and we testify the father has sent the son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he is in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love was made complete with us so that we might, may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has sent cannot love God who he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Well, God, today I pray you would help us to see how we are to love uh, those of the opposite sex especially those uh, who are close to us in age. Oh Lord, this is a complicated thing to do. It, it seems so simple in your word, and as we look back in history, and yet it's such a struggle for us. We want to do it right, Lord. We want to treat our brothers and sisters well. So help us, Lord, to examine your word, to look at our, our own lives and see if we're doing things the way you would ask us to do, not according to the culture, and not according to our personal preference, uh, but according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, about a, a year ago, I tuned in on um, one of those free streaming things, and they were showing one of the old shows. You ever seen it, The Brady Bunch? Who watched The Brady Bunch? Right, it's one of those good, wholesome shows uh, where this family, this guy uh, who's raising his three sons on his own and this uh, woman who's raising his three daughter, her three daughters on her own, uh, they fall in love and they, they become a, a family of eight, right? And, and they, they work through their problems and every week there's a different challenge that they come together as a family to overcome. And it may be cheesy in our 2023 where every family show is just this messed up uh, family that doesn't like each other, but I, I like it. It's good. It's, it's wholesome. It, it reminds me kind of of what the church is called to be, uh, that we are a bunch of different people uh, who have different earthly fathers and mothers, who have, have different earthly siblings, different backgrounds, and yet we're, we're called together. We're, we come together in faith through Jesus Christ, and and we're called to love each other and work through things uh, for a greater cause, uh, that we're not the, the means to our faith, uh, we're not the end of our faith, that God is the thing that we're going after. I love the image of what the, the Bible presents as the church, where this, this group of people, uh, they, they lift up older men as, as fathers in Christ, and, and the older men, they, they build up younger men as sons in Christ. Uh, older women, they, they mentor younger women and help them through the challenges. And, and younger women, they, they help the older women in their times of trial as they age. Where husbands and wives, they create this safe shelter from a crazy world of love and truth and security for their children. Just imagine how wonderful it would be if, if we really did these things. Where, where, where pastors didn't abuse and, and take advantage of those in their congregations. Uh, where, where you were safe, you, you, we as the congregation, to not have it all together, where we could really be real about the things we're struggling in and yet keep calling each other to stronger and stronger faith, where we forgave each other when we messed up. And sort of at the Brady Bunch, uh, there was this reconciliation of any problems at the end of the episode. Wouldn't it be great if there was no affairs and no malice and no envy between brothers and sisters where we looked at each other as valuable sons and daughters of the king. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's God's image for the church. That's his desire for us, a family, a family, a healthy family. We see this image first in Jesus, then Paul and Peter and John all build on this. And it may sound cheesy to you that, oh, we're just, we'd be a, be a Brady Bunch family, but I think deep down, wouldn't you like to be a part of a group like that? A family where you can be real, where, where you know you're cared about, where, where you know you can mess up and, and they're not just gonna split with you and, and go form their own family? Where we care for each other? Where, where when we have disagreements, we work through it, where we have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters of all different backgrounds, yet we come together. That's a wonderful image, and that's the image that God gives us. That's what Paul gives us in Ephesians 2.19. He says, so then you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Uh, he paints this image that you were, you were all separate uh, but no longer. You, you may not be understood out there in that world, but God has brought you together and you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're a part of a household. 
It's a household that God started. It's a household that he is the head of, not me, him. It's a household that works to achieve his objectives. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I have written so that you may know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. You see, God dictates how the family is to operate. We may have it all messed up in our culture where kids run the show, uh, but not in God's house. In God's house, he tells us how to live. And maybe you're new to church. I know we have uh, quite a few people that are new to church, period. And you're like, well, why do you do things this way? And why don't you do things that way? And it seems so counter to the culture. Well, that's because we're trying to the best of our ability to do things the way God wants us to. Jesus even talked about uh, when he was in his uh, hometown and he's preaching some pretty hard things and his, his mother and his uh, stepbrothers and sisters, they come to him and they're like, Jesus, stop that. Come on out here. And they were, uh, the disciples go in and tell Jesus and say, hey, your, your mother and your brothers and sisters are out there and they kind of want you to stop. And, and Jesus turns around in Mark chapter 3, verse 35 and says, whoever does the will of God is my brother or sister or mother. You, you hear this? Jesus is calling out a closeness that the church is to be that even supersedes the non-believing blood relatives that you have. First Timothy chapter five, verses one and two. Paul says, don't rebuke older men, but exhort them as a father and younger men as brothers. Older women are as mothers and the younger women are as sisters with all purity. Don't miss that word. We see in the word of God that men and women are to treat each other as a family. As a family that has different relationships. And today I want to talk to you about the most complicated relationship, especially in our North American egalitarian culture. That is the relationship between men and women who are around the same age group as each other. Brothers and sisters, uh, it's a complicated relationship, and it, and it isn't always straightforward, and each relationship with a brother and sister calls for a little bit different uh, approach. We're not called to ignore each other. We just clearly saw that, and for some Christians, that's the, that's the idea. Uh, they'll say, oh, well, it's just too complicated, therefore I'm just going to get to know men, and I'm just going to only work with men and women. You're just going to work with women, but we don't see that. In fact, Jesus, uh, yes, he chose 12 men to be the apostles to lead, but he also called a bunch of women to follow after him too. And they co-labored with Jesus and the apostles for the work of the ministry. We can't deny that. It was completely countercultural to, a Roman, uh, to the Roman Greek society that men and women would work together for the gospel's sake. Now, we saw that there was no funny business going on in the camp. Peter wasn't, uh, uh, even though he was away from his wife and he was married, he wasn't, he wasn't getting into any business with Mary Magdalene, the ex-prostitute. There was purity in the camp because they were focused on the Father. You see, Paul, the great missionary, worked to advance the gospel with many women. If you read Romans 16, which I'll encourage you to read on your own, uh, really what it is is it's Paul's thank you letter before he gets executed. Uh, and he, he's thanking a bunch of people who over the decades have labored with him for the gospel's sake. And nine of those people that he thanks are women. I'll just give you a few. 
I commend to you our brother Phoebe, a deacon in the church of Centura. I ask that you receive her in the Lord in the way worthy of his people to give her any help that she may need for you. For she has been a benefactor for many people, including me, Paul says. There's one more. Greet Priscilla and Aquilia, my co-workers, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So we see that Paul worked alongside men and women in the same age group, and somehow he managed to do it without going in to sin. He worked around married women and single women. And we forget that the largest demographic for the first 300 years of the church was, wait for it, brown-skinned women. That was the largest demographic because Jesus... You may have thought Jesus was white, but Jesus is actually a brown-skinned man. You'd be surprised to know that, um, or maybe you would be, that the the largest demographic that identifies them in the U.S. is women of African descent. uh, Three-quarters of all women of African descent in the U.S. would identify themselves as Christian. 66% of them identifying identifying themselves as Protestant. It, it kind of pushes away that this misconception that Christianity is just a bunch of white men, doesn't it? So we see that men and women have to work together. We're called to work together and for thousands of years have worked together. So why do we sometimes mess it up? That's what I want to get into. Because we can be honest that sometimes Christians, men and women, get into some bad things together. Sometimes affairs happen in churches. Physical affairs and emotional affairs. And both men and women are susceptible. Your age doesn't matter. It can be young or it can be when you're older. And we live in an increasingly egalitarian society and culture. That means you have more, more, you're more likely to come and interact with women or men around the same age. And so we need to be cognizant of this and we need to know how to do it properly. And so I've got for you some guidelines uh, for friendships between brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's places in the middle of your bulletin that you can make notes uh, and fill in the blanks. Number one is this, okay, some guidelines and rules for friendships between brothers and sisters in the church so that you don't end up in sin. When you're married, understand that everything changes. When you're married, everything changes when it comes to your relationship with other men and women. When you're single, yeah, men and women uh, around the same age, you can have friendships. You can build relationships. uh, You can go deep with them as you're getting to know them. Because let's be honest, the best marriages come from man and woman being friends first, right? And then it blossoms into love. Uh, But you want to be building those friendships, singles, with Christian men and women because the chance is, the the possibility is is that you start making friendships with non-Christians, you start going deep with them, getting emotional with them. They might have feelings for you or you might have feelings for them and most likely they're going to like you more because you're probably going to be nicer than their non-believing friends. And so the challenge is, is when you get married to a non-believer and they want to go this way and you want to follow Christ, that's where the challenge is and I know some of you know that heartache. 
But when you're married, the relationship changes. The dynamic changes. The way you relate to men and women around your age changes. Just as a, a child who gets married, that relationship changes with their parent. They're no longer number one in their life. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 6, he talks about the change. However, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and, they will be, and the two will become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is repeating Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Later, Paul will repeat Jesus in Ephesians chapter 31. They want you to know something. There is this leaving of a previous way when you're single. And there's a uniting. There's an intertwining together, a becoming one. So that that person, that man and woman, have a relationship that is distinct from all other male-female relationships. Here's a bad example. But I bought a new used car a little while ago. And uh, so this was used, it was owned by somebody else at one time. And, and, and then they uh, sold it. And, and then it was in the parking lot. And people test drove it, they took it around, they, they got to know it a little bit. Uh, but I bought it. And it's now mine. And so that means that they can no longer come over and test drive it on their own. They can't just get into it on my driveway and, and take it out for a drive and, and, and get impressed by the features. They can't have it, right? And in the same way you were once when you were a child um, living under your parents' home, you belonged to them, right? The parent had authority over. But then you became free. You were on the market, per se, Right? And you went out and you went on some few dates with some people and, and, and you got to know them a bit and a little deep and you, you tried things out. And, but then eventually, if you've gotten married, uh, then you committed to one person and you are no longer on the market. You're no longer available for test drives. And so there's this intertwining of relationships. I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> This intertwining of two lives together. You know, think of it like this. We got two separate balls of yarn. I, I was going to mix them all together, but that was too time consuming. So, I, so here's two individual people, right? And you can wrap these so that they're no longer two separate balls, but they're one ball together. You'll look and you'll see there's two distinct colors, but they're now form one ball. And see, the problem is, is when married couples don't intertwine, then somebody else comes along and they start to intertwine with them. And that's where the challenge starts to come. And, and I've seen beautiful examples in our churches of, of how husbands and wives, they take an active interest in their spouse and, and they intertwine with them in things that maybe they wouldn't be interested in. You know, Jeanette, our secretary, when she married Ron, uh, Ron does these wonderful carvings out of rock, right? It's very hard. And, and she didn't just say, oh, go do that on your own. I don't want to have anything to do with that. No, no, she came alongside her no, new husband and intertwined, and, and she, she helps them along. And when they go off to the cottage, they do these sculptures together. She's a part of that. It builds the relationship. That's why they have such a good marriage. 
Uh, I see it in, in our, one of our elders, Dustin and Kat. She's always wanted to have a hobby farm and, and, and that was a joy to her. And Dustin just say, all right, that's yours. There you go. No, he came alongside her and now it's theirs together. They do it together. It's, it's how they build their relationship. I see it in Pastor Mark's marriage. Uh, whereas he loves sports, he loves to, to watch hockey and football, and, and Maddie couldn't care less, his wife, but yet she'll sit there with him on the couch, uh, in, and she gets to know the players' names. Why? To intertwine their lives. That's what the marriage is. It's this intertwining deeper and deeper together. You know, it doesn't mean that you just have to have your friendship with your spouse. No, you can have interests that your spouse doesn't have. My wife doesn't really want to go to the range and, and clean uh, rifles every week. That's probably not something she has to do. So what does the Bible say? Number two, after you, you realize that your marriage is first, you need to cultivate deep friendships with those of the same sex. That is God's next step for you. Men have good relationships, deep relationships with other men and women with other women. And by doing this, you protect your marriage because you're a lot less likely to go chasing after it in, in someone of the opposite sex if, if that's being fulfilled with your marriage and then with male and female friendships. Men are there to encourage each other, to hold them accountable, and, and women are there for women. The same, we see that all through the Bible. Moses and Joshua, Ruth and Naomi, uh, Mary and Mary, David and Jonathan, Paul and Silas. That's, that's what God's next step is you. Develop deep friendships with those of the same sex. A third one is understand the culture you're in. Each culture is a bit different. Like the Indian culture is gonna be very, very different than the Canadian culture. And so I've gotta learn the culture before I go into that. And, and our Canadian culture is very different. And each family and each person you interact with is a bit different. Let me give you an example. Paul, four times throughout uh, his letters, he says this, as we see in 1 Corinthians 16, 20. He says, all the brothers send you greetings. Now, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, how would you feel if I greeted you with a holy kiss at the front door when you came in? You'd probably punch me in the face, right? Some of you would, right? It's a cultural thing. There, it's not a big thing. Men in the Middle East still greet each other with a kiss. There's nothing sexual about it. In Italy, I, I watched Italian men and women. They just kiss each other on the cheek. There's nothing different about it. Uh, in, in Kenya, uh, some of the people uh, were half-dressed, and again, there was nothing sexual about it. It was just the cultural thing. So here we understand our Canadian culture. As Canadian Christians, we live in a hyper-sexualized and a hyper-romanticized culture. So what do I mean by that? I mean that because pornography and movies are so available so easily, men's minds are just plagued with sexual images. Uh, sexual immorality. They have a wrong understanding of what their sisters are and they have a wrong understanding of sex. They're hypersexualized. But in the same way and in a different way, women's minds are hyper-romanticized. They, they think that marriage is to be this, this fairy book sort of uh, idea that, that they've listened to too many uh, feminist speeches and they've heard, seen too many soap operas. And so they have this idea that if a man isn't perfect, if he isn't Jesus himself, I don't have to, to honor him and love him. I have this idea of what a man is, but he'll never be able to achieve that. 
And so we walk around with these uh, false understandings, and, and so here in lies a lot of our problems. And so because we're influenced by culture more than Scripture, we're hardly ever satisfied with the spouse that we have. And so we go looking elsewhere. We start looking at how that man treats his wife or uh, look at how that woman treats her husband. Why can't I have that? Understand your culture. It's different than if we were in a different place. You need to understand as you interact with men and women, where is that marriage, especially if, if you're interacting with another married um, person of the opposite sex, you're working together with them. Is their marriage good? Is their marriage secure? Is your marriage good? Is your marriage secure? You need to understand that so that you can treat that relationship different. You can be a little extra sensitive there. Number four, understand yourself. This is where we have to humble ourselves. We have to understand that we are fallen human beings. We are not above the temptation to sin. So here we are. Men, you know this, ladies. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're more likely to be tempted to uh, desire your sister in Christ because of her physical appearance. You're more likely to desire your sister in Christ if, if she honors you or shows you respect. Why? Because men love beauty and, and men love honor and respect. And so if, if they're in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or they're single, and, and there's a, a female who's, who's really beautiful and, and, and maybe they don't uh, have much romance in their marriage or there's a woman who honors them, you're going to feel this uh, desire or this temptation to be attracted to them. And you gotta fight it. You gotta know that that might be there. It's the same with women, I see, that, that because women, you are more likely to be tempted uh, to be attracted to a man uh, who listens to you, who appreciates you, and who serves you, right? Because women have a desire to be appreciated and listened to, and because a lot of husbands don't serve their wives as Christ commands, because they won't take the time to listen to them. If, if a woman finds a man, if a brother comes along and he starts listening to her and he starts appreciating him, you're gonna be tempted to be attracted to that man. And so herein lies the danger when you start to think about that person more than you should. God understands we are tempted. That's why he put this on, our top, on his top 10 list. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Top 10 list, God says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not desire your neighbor's wife, and the same would be for a husband. Don't want what they have because you don't have that. You can be friends with a brother or sister around your same age group, but there needs to be clear boundaries. You need to have a clear understanding that you're going to put these boundaries in place so that you're not tempted to want them and they're not tempted to want you. And so if you see yourself or you know you're thinking about that person a little too much, ah, look at the way she hangs off of his shoulder. She just, ah, such so affectionate towards him. I wish I could have that. I wish... I wonder what she'd be like hanging off of my shoulder. Or ladies, you can't stop comparing how so-and-so treats his wife compared to what you have. Or maybe you're single and you're just like, oh, I love how, how he treats her. Uh, I wish he was mine. If you find yourself thinking about somebody else's spouse, uh, somebody that's not your spouse, you know that you need to put up 
extra boundaries. James understood this. The Bible understands humans. James 4, verse 1 and 2. What is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. God understands us. We need to understand ourselves. I was in the gym and I was thinking about this and it's like God brought along a song. It was like, right, I was thinking about the sermon and how am I gonna have uh, illustrations and, and this song that I haven't heard in decades come on, it's called Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. <laughs> Let me give you some of the lyrics. Jesse is a friend, yeah, I know. He's a good friend of mine. But lately something's changed and it ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I wanna make her mine. You know, I wish that I had Jesse's girl. I wish I had Jesse's girl. Where can I find a woman like that? And I'm looking in the mirror all the time wondering what she doesn't see in me. I've been funny. I've been cool with the lines. Ain't that the way love's supposed to be? We can't think we're above thinking those things. If we do, we're on shaky ground. We are in a fallen world and we are fallen people being redeemed by Christ. So how do we go the alternate route? Well, Peter reminds us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have been purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love to one another from a pure heart, love one another constantly. It's this idea that as the culture is trying to intoxicate you with its thinking, you need to be purified by the truth. And as you, you're purified by the truth, your mind and your heart, God is convicting you, and, and, and your, then your motives towards your brothers and sisters aren't going to have extra motives. They're going to be pure. They're going to be good. And so we set up boundaries in order to protect ourselves. Guardrails, you could call them. When I was uh, on a bus going from Alberta to the inland um, in BC, the interior of BC, uh, we were going through the mountains and we're driving on the right side going in and along uh, on the cliffs. And, and so right beside the right lane was this guardrail, right? Uh, good thing. And you might say, well, why do you need the guardrail? You'd have to be an idiot to drive off the side of the cliff. Well, no, you don't have to be an idiot. You just have to be careless. It's there in case you become careless. And we put guardrails in our lives, brothers and sisters, in case we become careless, we bang up against them and realize, I don't want to go off the cliff. I want to stay safe. So here's a few boundaries you can set up. One, treat other Christians as literal family. So think of them not as just Christians, but as your literal family. First Timothy chapter five, we read it before, let's read it again. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with all purity. So I need to literally think of you as a brother and sister in Christ. And, and I'm a lot less likely to be tempted to think inappropriately or go after you inappropriately if I think of you as my sister or if I think of you as my brother. So literally, when you come across other Christians, they're your brother, they're your sister. Number two, keep it casual. If you're married or they're married, don't go deep with them. Don't bare your soul to them. Don't ever complain about your spouse to them or allow them to complain about their spouse to you. Don't, don't flatter them uh, unneededly. 
Number three, keep it open. Don't casually text uh, those of the same sex. Don't send secret emails. Don't have get-togethers outside of you and your spouse. And this is totally countercultural, right? But it doesn't matter because we can see it's not working in the culture. We can see that the family structure is coming unhinged in our society. And so we have to go a different way. And so sometimes it's hard for women my age to understand, well, why don't you meet with me if it's not in a public place? Why won't you meet with me in the church unless Jeanette's in the next room? Here's the reason. Because I know that I am not above temptation. I understand that about myself. And so if I have this guardrail, then I'm less likely to bang up against it. And I have to understand that, that people aren't always coming with the right motives. Number four, walk closely with God. The more you're in God's word, the more you're talking with God on a daily basis, the more you're praising God, the less likely you are to get involved in desiring your brother and sister in an inappropriate way. Number five, invest in your marriage. This is the best human boundary for both you and your spouse. Now, you protect each other if you're married. Your job is to protect your spouse. Um, Think of it as the best defense is a good offense. And someday you're gonna stand before God and you're not gonna be able to blame everything on your spouse. He's gonna say, well, how did you do at doing the things and treating your spouse in the way that I asked you to? Did you fulfill those things? Did you do the very best that you could do as a husband or wife to protect your spouse? So here's just four S's. Uh, Four S's, I don't know why S, but I just felt like S. And so here they are. (laughs) Number one, create a secure sanctuary. Your home, your marriage should be a safe and secure sanctuary. Man, that means you do your very best to, the very best of your ability to provide a safe and secure home where your wife can be free, where she can be herself. Don't jeopardize the safety and sanctuary of your home to chase after your pleasures and your own selfish desires. Remember Paul's warning that he who doesn't provide for his immediate family is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. Ladies, Uh, create in your home an environment that your husband wants to come home to. A place from the craziness of out there that is a safe place. Uh, The Bible gives pretty clear instruction. It says, it is better for a man to live on the corner of a roof than with a nagging wife. And ladies, nagging doesn't make your husbands want to come home. It actually is more likely to get their eyes looking elsewhere. Number two, Provide smiling service. Smiling service for your spouse. Follow Paul's example, men. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Service is the way we love somebody in the way that they want to be loved. It's don't just, you know, get your wife a new power tool. That's not service, men. It's loving them in a way that they need to be loved. And that creates a wonderful environment for them to live. Service is on both parts, but men, we're called to lead in the service department as Christ led the church and gave himself for her. And we don't serve begrudgingly, right? Because we're such a selfish culture by nature, fine, I'll serve you, here you go. That's not service. That's not Christian service towards a spouse. It's to joyfully serve one another. Galatians 5.13, for you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through 
love. Not only will this please your father in heaven, but your wife men will be pleased as well. And they're a lot less likely to compare you to other men if you're serving them out of that sort of mindset. Number three, create a safe, or sorry, have safe submittance. Safe submittance, I said it, the S word, submit. And John Piper tells us he's got good examples of what submission isn't. Here's what submission isn't. Submission is not agreeing with everything. Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. Submission does not mean you don't try and influence your husband in his weaknesses. Submission is not putting the will of your husband above the will of Christ. Submission does not mean living or acting in fear. But what submission is, is that you support your husband to the very best of your ability, even when his decisions don't work out the way you might have hoped they would work out for We live in a generation, like I said, where where Christian women think that when they got married, they married Jesus. No, you married a sinner who's hopefully being redeemed by Christ to become more of the image of Christ. But that takes patience. And leading is hard. That's why a lot of men don't lead anymore because it's too hard and they're never going to get it right. So what's the point? They need your support even in their failures. Because if a man knows that his wife has got his back, I know personally, if, if I know my wife has got my back, it doesn't care, matter if the whole world is against me. Everything is good. Be like Abraham and Sarah. You know, I think about them, and I don't know how Abraham did it, really. For those decades, like what a hard life he was called to. And I really think what made uh, Abraham great was Sarah. She was the one that made him great. And, and Peter says in chapter... 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, beauty should not come from the outward adornment such as braided hair or gold jewelry or fine clothing, but from an inward disposition of your heart, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. For this is how the holy women of past adjourned themselves. They put their hope in God and were submissive to their husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. And you are my children if you do what is right and refuse to give way to fear. But then he says to men, husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as the delicate vessels, with the honor as fellow heirs in the gracious gift of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Last one, sanctifying sex. Sanctifying sex. This is the sanctifying, one of the sanctifying processes of marriages. And in other countries, Christians get it. But again, our culture is so messed up. Uh, other c- countries, Christians understand that yeah, it's for pleasure, yeah, it's for making babies, but it's an actual sanctifying act. That's why God encourages married couples to do it. Because when a husband and wife come together, they are protecting their marriage from outside influences. They are renewing their commitment with each other and with God. It's sacred, it's special. And sure, our culture has cheapened it. And men are just thinking about pleasure all the time. And in our culture, women think it's a nuisance, whereas I'll only do it if, it, if I have enough energy after all the things that I want to give my time to. But God says it's a sacred act that protects your marriage. So understand marriage changes everything. Cultivate deep friendships with those of the same sex. Understand the, the culture you live in. Understand yourself set up boundaries. And when we do this, then it allows us to interact as a family, brothers and sisters, in a much healthier, much more God-glorifying way as a healthy family. 
uh, who then glorifies the Father in heaven, who the outside world looks at and says, oh, they're really loving each other and they're not dysfunctional like us. And then souls come to be saved and the angels rejoice in heaven. Well, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna invite Gary to come up and lead us in communion. Lord God, I pray that you would, anything that I said that was not true, was not of your truth, Lord, that uh, people would forget it. But Lord, if there is things in our lives that we can look at our lives and say, ah, we're really setting ourselves up to fail in the way we interact with our brothers and sisters, God, would you help us? Would you help those of us who are married to put our marriage first, to not be a stumbling block uh, for others? Would you help those who are single uh, to prepare themselves for marriage? Would you help us if, if we are having feelings uh, that are inappropriate to put up proper boundaries so that those don't keep happening, Lord? Would, would we be, we wanna be a healthy church, Lord, a healthy family. Help us in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.